Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guess. And we are back at it again. Here again, we're bringing you weekly roundup number three um, here on July 3rd, one day before we celebrate uh, the birthday of the, the nation. Uh, July 4th will be tomorrow. So we're just bringing you some news, a lot of news to get to, really. Um, Adrian, an interesting week. We had some, you know, some big stories, some divisive stories that kind of started some conversation in a lot of different areas. A lot of people chiming in. Um, and so, of course, uh, so let's let's get to it. Like I say, it's a lot of news. And so um, off the top, the one of the biggest stories here was that uh, if you don't know, um, Bill Cosby has been released from prison. And so what happened is the Pennsylvania Supreme Court actually overturned the indecent assault conviction of Bill Cosby. And this was on Wednesday. And they ordered his release that same day from prison after finding that he was denied protection against self-incrimination. And so the court said that a prosecutor's decision not to charge Cosby, who is currently 83, uh, their decision not to charge him in an earlier case opened the door for him to speak freely in a lawsuit against him, thinking he would not incriminate himself uh, criminally. And so uh, a second prosecutor lady used that same testimony in the um, in the lawsuit against him. And they used that testimony in a criminal trial. And that testimony was actually key in getting his conviction. And so Cosby was convicted on three counts of felony um, aggravated indecent assault in 2018 of drugging and assaulting um, a, a, a woman named Andrea Constand in 2004. And he served three years of that 10 year sentence. And so, um, you know, Adrian, again, we thought this story had kind of died away. You know, a lot of people are really shocked and surprised that we are now talking about Bill Cosby again, but from, what we've been reading, it looks like it shouldn't have been that surprising since apparently, you know, he he testified during a lawsuit. But, you know, you can't self-incriminate yourself, I guess, in that lawsuit and it be used against you later on. It seems like he's getting let out on a technicality um, and a lot of people aren't necessarily happy about it. But there are some, you know, who are um, thinking that a, a wrong was was undone here by letting him out. You're absolutely right, Devin. Um, a lot of people have um, different views on this topic. Um, I think there were a lot of people when um, Bill Cosby went to prison who thought um, he probably shouldn't have because of the legacy he had built as Dr. Huxtable and um, a successful black family, that per- sort of portrayal that they had on the Cosby show and just his legacy throughout his career. And here we are today, you know, he is out of jail. Um, obviously, his family and friends and, uh, you know, uh, fans love everything that's going on. But, of course, we at the Black Agenda have to make sure to recognize both sides of the coin, where we do have to recognize where uh, they see it as a victory. But we also have to recognize the the part of the victims because there was a lot, you know, Devin, where people were talking about how, you know, the victims should feel with this and how they pretty much have been silenced um, as a result of, of this, um, you know, technicality, basically, because, you know, he can't be tried again for this. So uh, in theory, um, even though he did play, play guilty to these things, um, he's basically not going to have to pay for those things. So 
like I said, I, you know, listeners, um, I don't know how y'all feel about it. You're welcome to let Deb and I know, you know, what's going on, but, um, we, we, you know, just wanted to kind of report on it, give you some insight in it, um, just to kind of, you know, you know, say, Hey, there's a, uh, you know, another black guy who's got a legacy in our community. Who's gotten out of jail, a lot of mixed feelings about it. So, um, feel free to let us know your comments, shoot us, you know, something, uh, via our social media at black agenda pod, or, um, just respond as you listen to the show here. But yeah, Devin, um, not sure. Um, I feel like it's such a sensitive topic. It's almost walking on eggshells. I mean, yes, it's it's definitely something you want to approach with caution. And like I said, and like you say, there are a lot of mixed feelings about it. And let's just say plainly, you know, Bill Cosby was not exonerated. He was not proven to be innocent or, you know, that the charges brought against him were somehow, you know, nullified and that they were wrong. No, that's not what happened here. This was a, you know, really a, a technicality, a legal issue. Um, a, a paperwork issue, something, you know, they chose not to, to to prosecute him the first time. And that's what happened. It is not saying that he is just free and clear, didn't do anything. That's, you can have your own opinions about whether you really think he did it. But during the lawsuit, he he admitted to doing these things. So um, it, it's, it, it's really a mixed bag. But, you know, again, we'll, we'll definitely keep you updated as far as that story goes. But we just wanted to bring it out there because it is such a big story um, and a lot of different takes on it. A lot of hot takes happening on Twitter right now. So um, but another story here, Adrian, that, again, a lot of hot takes were running around um, on social media was about Shakari Richardson, um, who is the U.S. Uh, track and field star. This is a budding star, recent star. Um, Shakari Richardson, if you don't know, um, recently, I think she had set like a world record and was going to be an Olympian at the Tokyo Olympics representing the United States. But apparently um, she has now been suspended for one month from the Olympic team after testing positive for THC, which is we all know it's a chemical that's found in marijuana. And this is coming. You have to make sure you understand this. This is coming from the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. They announced this on Friday. Shakari then went on to NBC's Today Show Friday morning, and she said, quote, I just want to take responsibility for my actions. I know what I did. I know what I'm supposed to do. I am allowed not to do. She, she, she understands what I'm supposed to do. I'm allowed not to do. And I still made that decision. I'm not making an excuse or looking for any empathy in my case. And so she cited um, the reason why she smoked marijuana this time was that she had found out from a reporter, of all people, that her biological mother had just passed away. And that was why she chose to use, you know, kind of marijuana as a coping mechanism, Adrian. And so, you know, honestly, just my take quickly, it's just it, it sucks. You know, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Um, you know, we all have our thoughts as far as le- weed and it being legal. It's we're seeing it be legal in a lot of states. We have to understand this is international competition. Weed is not legal in all places around the, you know, uh, the planet and the globe. And so um, there's a different set of rules that she has to play by in order for her to be part of you know Olympic competition. So like she said, she understood what she could do and what she couldn't do, and she made a decision. 
she has to, you know, face those consequences. They're going to suspend her for 30 days. She will still get to compete in the Olympics. That's the other thing to keep in mind, too. She won't get to compete in the 100 meter, but she will get to probably get to compete in the relays. So she will still be in Tokyo. She just will not be able to compete in that 100 meter race, which is what, of course, we all want to see her in. Um, But it just, you know, it's a terrible situation. It's a stupid rule, but nonetheless, it's a rule. She she understands she was an adult and she handled it with grace and, and taking that accountability and say, look, that's on me. I knew what I was doing. Um, but I just we have to be very careful and not blowing this up into something and saying that, you know, they're picking on Shakari or black people in general, um, trying to keep her out of the Olympics. And I don't think anybody's trying to say she's a bad person for doing this. I think everybody understands she just made a mistake. So. That's just my take on it. I don't know. What about you, Adrian? Well, I think um, I think everybody probably knows my position also on marijuana and you know the usage of it. And obviously, I live in California where it's legal here. Um, I, I definitely felt like um, Shakari, um she's dealt a bad hand. Not only does some people say Shakari or Shakari, but um, you know, she can't even smoke marijuana after her mother passes away and try to, you know, cope and rationalize what's going on. And I get rules are rules. Um, I, I'm hopeful that eventually marijuana will be able to take um, a, a different um, uh, a, a different sort of persona uh, internationally um, and more people can, you know, start to utilize it because it's I don't, you know, it's not like she was taking steroids or something to enhance her performance. Um, she was just, you know, smoking weed to kind of get through a, you know, a traumatic event. And that's to me where the the difference kind of comes in. It's like, you know, she's not doing some sort of um, performance enhancer drug. And in essence, I mean, you could look at it like uh, um, something that would harm her performance. You know, if you want to look at some of the science behind marijuana, but uh, rules are rules, Devin. Um, you know, I guess, you know, nobody's above the law, nobody's above the rules. So, um, I, I, I do like your point though. We can't make this like, uh, you know, uh, a gender issue, uh, a racial issue or anything like that. It's just, you know, rules are rules. We have to abide by the rules. Um, she accepted her onus in it. So, um, listeners just wanted to kind of give you an update on that. That was another another piece uh, piece of big news uh, this week. And uh, before we let you go on this segment, we also want to talk about Donald Trump a little bit. We don't like to talk about Donald Trump, but um, he's he's been in the news, obviously, because everybody knows at this point um, his CFO, Alan Weisselberg, and his company, the Trump Organization, um, got some pretty uh, hefty charges, uh, Devin. Um, you know, before they unseal these documents, the you know the Trump uh, team, uh, legal team that is, tried to make it sound like this wasn't really going to be a big deal. But um, there were, I think, like fifteen different accounts here, which I know based off of the way they do statutes in New York law, um, they were talking about. That's why there were so many. But um, these were serious things, Devin, because basically what you know they were describing here was a fifteen-year scheme to evade taxes on executive employee compensation. According to the indictment, the Trump organization provided part of his compensation in the form of rent-free apartments, 
car leases, cash bonuses, and private uh, school tuition, but failed to properly account for this in income and did not repay, and excuse me, and did not pay required federal, state, and local taxes. Weisselberg, a recipient of these benefits, allegedly also failed to pay personal taxes on his income as part of the conspiracy. So, yeah, Devin, I mean, this is some big stuff. I mean, I even was listening to the news today where they were talking about uh, maybe looking at RICO with this thing, which is, you know, if one member of an organization uh, gets indicted with a felony, um, they can go for multiple uh, members of the organization. Um, of course, Weisselberg and the Trump Organization pled not guilty to the charges. Um, the Trump Organization just really said that the prosecution was a political ploy, um, saying that Weisselberg was just being used as a pawn to eventually get to the president, you know, if he buckles down or whatever. But, you know, a lot's going on around this. There's not a lot of, you know, certainty of how the future is going to look like for Donald Trump. But I think, Devin, one thing can be certain is that uh, the former president is in some hot water. Um, and I definitely think that uh, both uh, the DA for Manhattan and for New York, um, they're going to do what they can uh, to throw the book at Donald Trump to try not to be too biased, but also to make him kind of pay for really um, uh, a family of, uh, of, of, of evading taxes. Cause we know from the New York times, that's what they did. Devin, um, you know, he, he, you know, from him to Fred Trump, you know, they just had a, a life of avoiding taxes and we can see it clear that they did that. Not to mention Devin. I uh, remember Michael Cohen said that um, they uh, lied to a lot or rather defaulted uh, a lot of investors and bankers, by inflating their property. So there's going to be a lot more investigations coming uh, in the pipeline for uh, the former president. Exactly. Exactly. And rightly so that there will be more investigations, more, you know, eyes looking into what the Trump team, the Trump organization um, is um, and was doing. You know, I think we all kind of had a feeling that this was coming. Um, You know, when you get the, Manhattan district attorney involved and the New York, you know, when you get those power players involved, you know, it's something big and it's something serious. And look, um, you know, they, I mean, they should, they should come to, they be, should be held to task for evading taxes. You know, we all have to pay our taxes. <laughs> Unfortunately, we all don't have the money of Donald Trump to pay people to be able to cook up these schemes and avoid taxes. But at the end of the day, to me, paying taxes is like the most American thing you can do because we and all have to do it. People don't realize, Evan, <laughs> that taxes are what funds government programs. I mean, when you when you think about the fact that California is very progressive and the fact that they're able to provide a lot of services for people, it's because they tax. Um, you know, when when rich people and corporations don't pay taxes, that's that's them not paying their fair share to Social Security and unemployment and everything mm-hmm. else that the government funds because the government's money that they're using for all their programs comes primarily from taxes. So when people don't pay their taxes, they're, you know, defrauding, you know, the IRS and the government, that, but they're also defrauding the American people and taking, you know, stuff out of our pockets. That's exactly true. That's a very, very good point. Um, we have to look at it like it's a shared responsibility of everybody in the country to pay you know, their taxes so that we can have certain services and make sure that the fire department can run and the police department can run. So when you don't pay taxes, like you say, that's money coming out of the pockets or coming out of the budgets for those services. You know, we don't get to do that. So, um, yes, I think it's it's about time they get held to task for this. And 
Um, hopefully there are more investigations coming down to unearth some of the things that they were doing. Um, so, you know, I mean, Trump came into office, you know, trying to act as though he was smarter than everyone else with, with not paying his taxes. But we were talking before the show that, you know, this is kind of one of those byproducts when you put yourself out there and you do become president and you are a billionaire. When you do, you know, ascend to that position the way that he did it, you do garner more attention and more, you know, investigations. <laughs> so they didn't just create it out of thin air. I mean, these they were they were cooking up, you know, like you say, not paying taxes, rent free apartments and leases and everything else. So um, it's good to see that, you know, there's some accountability there and hopefully this doesn't end up in one of those, it gets, you know, settled out of court type of things. You know, we want to see the penalties. We want to see them actually pay for these things. Um, so yeah, so that, that, that'll do it for our first segment. Some interesting news covering Bill Cosby, Shakiri Richardson and the Trump organization, um, getting in trouble with taxes. So, um, you know, again, if you have thoughts, comments, concerns, hit us up in the Facebook comments, Twitter, Instagram, where we always want to know what you think about what we're talking about. So, um, again, a great first segment. So we're going to take our very first break, and when we come back, we're going to bring you another interview this time. It's going to be about the Delta variant of COVID-19. So, again, yeah, a little bit of COVID this show, but it's a very, very good interview, very interesting. So we're going to dig into what the Delta variant is all about, and we also have some other news for you. So stick with us, and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back to the show. Let's get into our second segment. Before we get into our interview on the Delta variant, Deb and I wanted to give you some quick little popcorn topics as far as some news that's going on. And one of the first things we saw is that the NCAA is changing their rules as far as how they're going to allow college athletes to make money off of their name and likeness. As of Thursday, the NCAA's policy changes will allow athletes to better make money from their image or name, just as legislation in several states, including Florida, either will take soon, uh, either will take effect uh, soon as well. Basically, if a college student lives in a state where legislation has been passed, they can profit from their name, image, or likeness according to the state law. If the college athlete doesn't live in a state where NIL law on the books, the individual school must come up with a policy for athletes to follow. According to ESPN, the NCAA's guideline on this are few. Um, don't allow boosters to pay athletes and don't let endorsement deals influence recruiting. Also, the Supreme Court ruled June 21st that the NCAA's rule restricting education-related benefits were illegal and the court's decision was unanimous. So, Devin, some interesting things there just because we actually did an interview about, you know, should college athletes be able to make money? So uh, it's nice to see that there's actually some movement on that issue. Some very big movement. This is a big day, um, a historic moment for college sports um, now with, you know, athletes being able to take advantage now, you know, of their name, image and likeness. So it's going to be interesting how this shakes out and how this affects the schools, uh, particularly with recruiting. So we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um, our next story here, staying in the sports world, but a little little different here. So um, 
as you know, Olympic trials are still happening, but there was a, a hammer thrower. Her name is Gwen Berry. Uh, during the, uh, I think she was on the podium here at the end of the um, trials, she turned her back to the American flag during the playing of the national anthem while she was on the podium at the U.S. Olympic track and field trials. And so, again, her name is Gwen Berry. Uh, Barry actually came in third in the Hammer event at the trials. And what she said was that during the award ceremony, she felt like it was a setup. She felt like they had done it on purpose. And the reason she's saying this is because um, she said that she was told the Star Spangled Banner would be played before the Hammer Throwers actually went out and went stood on the podium. But instead, it was actually played during the award ceremony. And she said, quote, they said they were going to play it before we walked out. Then they played it when we were out there. And she said, but I don't really want to talk about the national anthem because that's because that's not important. And so, again, her name is uh, Gwen Berry. Uh, she is a black woman. Um, and so she is on the U.S. national team. And so uh, just interesting, Adrian. She turned her back to the national anthem. Just, you know, more more evidence that some people may not necessarily, again, for black people, um, the Star Spangled Banner and the American flag does not necessarily hold that same, you know, um, you know, character the, the characterization that maybe some of our white counterparts have. Some of us here in, in, in Black America don't necessarily feel that same reverence for the Star Spangled Banner and the American flag. So, just an interesting story there. Agreed. Not to mention that in the African American community, we also have, uh, you know, our, you know, kind of our national anthem as well, you know, lift every voice and sing. So, um, another little bit of news, uh, listeners to kind of keep it moving here. Um, the House approved a bill that's going to be removing Confederate statues from the Capitol. Uh, this come about a little bit ago, actually, two months after George Floyd's murder. The House introduced legislation to remove Confederate statues such as Chief Justice Taney, uh, John C. Calhoun, Charles B. Alco, John Paul Clark from the U.S. Capitol. So a bunch of different people that had a lot of controversial stances and views on slavery and different things. The plan was to have like a statue of Thurgood Marshall, who was the first black Supreme Court justice in the place there. Um, the bill passed July 22nd of 2020 in the House with a 305 to 113 vote, but was stalled in the Republican-controlled Senate. Fast forward to this week, the bill was introduced and was passed in the House. Looks like it was a 285 to 120 vote. 67 House Republicans joined with the Democrats to support the bill. The measure was actually introduced by House Majority Whip James, uh, James Clyburn shortly after the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. The removed statues will be sent to their stat, uh, excuse me, the removed statues will be sent to their states, then sent them, and then they're going to send them back to the Capitol there. Um, so Devin, it's nice to see that we're actually taking some movement here, um, to get, uh, Confederate symbols removed, um, because we know, uh, from our podcast and our conversations with our guests, um, those symbols, you know, signify a lot of different things, what people are holding on um, to white nationalism, white pride and um, Southern heritage that was really uh, meshed with a, a lot of oppression and a lot of hatred towards minorities. So glad to see that we're actually taking some initiative to get those uh, statues replaced. Right, right. And you're talking again, you're, you're, you know, when we're talking about the difference between how 
um, our white counterparts view Confederate statues and how black people view them are totally different. So, um, so it's nice to see that they're finally understanding those aren't necessarily representative <laughs> of, of America anymore. So um, good, good story there. So our last one here before we get to our interview, um, it's going to come out of Amherst, uh, Massachusetts, where uh, the Amherst City Council has actually voted 12 to 1 to, su- to support funding for reparations. And so um, this you know announcement comes at a time when the institutions and communities across the country are actually talking. We are actually talking about reparations and it's happening on a ground level. And so according to the reparation for Amherst website, the grassroots organization is specifically focused on reparations for slavery and post-slavery anti-black racism in Amherst. And so earlier this year, we saw Evanston, Illinois, become the first American city to approve reparations for black Americans. Um, This is according to ABC. So the program uses marijuana tax revenues to give eligible black residents 25,000 housing grants uh, for down payments, repairs, or existing mortgages. And so uh, the Amherst City Council approved of creating the African Heritage Reparations Assembly to create the city's reparations plan no later than October 31st. So we'll definitely update you in October as far as what actually happens um, in in Amherst and what their plan is actually going to be. So now we're going to get to what you really were waiting for, which is our great interview here. Again, we're talking about the Delta variant for COVID-19. It's something that's starting to percolate a little bit. They're starting to see it more in the news. And so we're actually going to dive into it. So let's get to our interview. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners. So like last show, we have another great interview on tap for today. And we have uh, Dr. Jorge Rodriguez on the show um, just to give you a little bit about him. So he he graduated uh, magna cum laude from the University of Miami in Coral Gables, Florida, Florida, with a degree in chemistry. And then he went on to attend the University of Miami School of Medicine. And so Dr. Jorge currently has a general internal medicine practice in Los Angeles, California, where he not only attends to clinical patients, but he also is a principal investigator and president of Global Research Institute. And so uh, Dr. Jorge is also the author of two best-selling books. Uh, one is published by Penguin Random House, The Ale- the Acid Reflux Solution and The Diabetes Solution. Both of them top the charts on Amazon Books. So if you have a chance, go check those out. Um, then lastly, Dr. Jorge, you may have seen him before, heard his voice before, um, you're not crazy. He has been on the guest. He has been a guest on The View, uh, the Dr. Phil show, the Dr. Oz show, Headline News, Fox News, the Montel Williams show, and even Good Morning America. So he might be a familiar voice to you if you watch those shows. So, uh, Dr. Jorge, we just wanted to welcome you and thank you for joining us. Oh, man, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Sure thing. So, um, you know, we have you on the show. We wanted to kind of talk about We've talked a lot about COVID-19 in the last year or so. Um, even, you know, President or former President Trump coined the term, you know, COVID, COVID, COVID. Uh, we haven't talked about it recently, but it is kind of sort of coming back in the news. And the reason is, is because this thing called the Delta variant, a new strain of the virus. And so 
we just wanted to kind of get your 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 knowledge, your expertise on this. Kind of walk us through what what do we currently know about the Delta variant, and what don't we know yet about this this new strain? All right, f- fair enough. Um, you know. For once, I may agree with Trump, COVID, 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 because seriously, COVID is everywhere. And I think here in the U.S., we tend to think that it's only here. And once we control it here, that things are going to be all right. And that's not the truth. You know, it's a big world connected by airplanes and by ships. So if there's an outbreak in Africa or in Brazil or in India, that is eventually going to affect us as, as we're seeing now with this variant. So really quickly, the virus can't make new viruses just by floating in the air. It has to infect somebody. And when it infects somebody, it makes hundreds of millions or maybe 20 million new viruses a day in that person, uh, if not more. And in that making new viruses, every once in a while, a mistake happens. And that little mistake in the new virus is a mutation. And if that mutation makes the virus stronger or more lethal, well, guess what? It's going to be the one that survives. It is now the new, the new sort of like OG, right? It, it's it's taken over, and that one gets spread. So when people say, "Hey, I I'll I'm tough, I'm healthy. If I get infected, I will survive it." Yeah, chances are that you're going to survive it. But what you're also going to be doing is you're going to be making it worse for everybody else because you could be creating a mutation. So this Delta mutation was originally found in India. And let me put it in perspective. The original virus that came from China, from Wuhan or in that area, you know, infected so many people. The next big variant is the UK variant in the, from England, which is now called the alpha variant, that one was 50 times more infectious than the original one. The delta variant is 60 times more infectious than the UK one, right? Which was 50 times more infectious than the original. So this new guy is twice as infectious as the original virus, which means it spreads a lot more quickly. It infects more people. And we think it also makes people sicker. So, The bottom line is there is a more infectious variant um, floating around that is basically doubling in every two weeks. Um, The U.S. two weeks ago, only 10% of the people that got infected had the variant. Now it's up to 20%. Probably in two weeks, it'll be up to 40%. And two weeks after that, it'll be like 80% of everybody that's getting infected has this new variant, which is why everybody's raising the red flag and stop me at any time because I tend to talk, you know, a little too much. <laughs> no, no, you're doing good, Dr. Jorge. I mean, you're, you're talking about a lot of great points uh, about the, the need for why people should get vaccinated. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, 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 it seems like, you know, if this thing is way worse than what, you know, than what the original was way worse than what the UK is going through. And we do know that, you know, we, as a global community, we have to take care of each other. Um, our next question here for you, Dr. Jorge, because um, we're all about education and awareness and trying to get people to know the truth. But it seems like there's a lot of people in our country who are still citing those rare cases of people getting sick or dying when they get vaccinated as reasons to not get vaccinated. 
But whenever you're talking to people, you've given us a little bit of the cost benefit analysis. But I guess and in, in just for those skeptics who really just don't buy any of that, what should we really be saying to them to really get them to get vaccinated so they can stop this potential further mutation? Yeah. First of all, nobody has died from the vaccination. There have been rare complications, you know, in, in some of the vaccines. Uh, some people have gotten blood clots. Maybe, I don't know what the number is now, 20 people out of 300 million vaccines that were given, that have been given here in the U.S. Not 300, 300 million shots or uh, have been given. Um, the statistics was like one out of every, I don't know, 2 million, 3 million people might have a complication. None of them have ever been lethal. Your chance of dying in a car accident are one in a hundred. So, and hit by lightning is like one in 15,000. So the chance of having a problem from a vaccine is infinitesimally small. Uh, I just think that as people, you know, we tend to believe whatever supports what our feeling is. You know, so if you really don't want to get the vaccine, man, you're you're going to seek out, you know, information that kind of justifies it. Um, I I'm a medical doctor. I, I believe in what science and statistics tell you. And right now, let me give, let me put it this way: of the 123 people that got COVID in the in LA County over the last couple of days. 110 of them had not been vaccinated. Two of them were partially vaccinated and 10 had been vaccinated. So the vaccines are not 100%, but out of the 123 people that got it, 110 have not been vaccinated. So this virus is floating around. It is going, it's, you know, it's a parasite. It is going to land on the people that are susceptible. And those are the people that are unvaccinated. And Um, And that's no, you're exactly right. And that's, it's it's hard, like you say, trying to convince people, because even after I took it, I have family members who won't take it. And I respect yeah. their decision, you know, to do it. But like you say, we seek out that confirmation bias. So if you if yeah. you don't want to take it, and you're already skeptical, you're going to yeah. seek out more information to confirm yeah. those skepticisms rather than look at information that may be the contrary, that may say, oh, well, the vaccines are safe. So many people taking it, all the things you just said. Um, why it's it's safe. But um, despite that, we still have people who, you know, aren't going to do it, which I, I get it. It's a personal choice. Um, but one thing that can help in lieu of getting a vaccine is wearing a mask. Um, yes. And, and so it, it's kind of like we've we've kind of let the cat out the bag here. We've, we've relaxed our, you know, restrictions. The CDC has pretty much said that if you, you know, if you're vaccinated, you can pretty much go to normal life. Um, we're kind of going on the honor system in a lot of places where they say if you're not vaccinated, you should wear a mask. But there's really no way to tell um, who who is vaccinated and who isn't and who should be wearing them. So you know, now that we're kind of, you know, we'll be into the fall here in a few months and the Delta variant is, like you say, kind of starting to spread. Um, what do you think? What can we do as far as trying to advise people on mask usage now that we've kind of largely gone back to normal? You know, what can we do now as far as well, trying to get people to wear masks? Yeah. Uh, two days ago, L.A. County strongly suggested that um, everyone wear masks in indoor crowded situations with no exceptions, whether you've been vaccinated or not. Um, the same thing has been recommended 
now by the World Health Organization. Uh, you know what? What's kind of good, but also very bad. It's, it's bad. I mean, when any, wherever anybody dies, it's bad. But right. But what makes this even worse is that if you have a family member that has a disease like cancer or ends up dying of HIV and AIDS, you see it, right? You see it, you know how bad it is, you know, and after they die, you can testify to the horror of it. Um, With COVID, people end up getting sick and they go to the hospital and they're isolated and you don't see your relatives die. So to a lot of people, it isn't real, you know, and and, and I think that's part of it. Um, What I tell people is that the next mutant is going to be stronger than this one because with mutations, only the strong survive. Um, And if you're not going to take a vaccine, which I strongly, I can't even emphasize it enough. And I understand, you know, the, the social issues about it. And I understand, you know, that, that it's difficult. And I understand that, you know, in certain communities, you know, people have been lied to in the past and, and, and that creates a, a lot of distrust but, you know, this, this vaccine was created by people of all genders and all colors and, and all religions. Um, and it isn't just for one person, it's for everybody. And, you know, people, black Americans and Hispanic Americans are the ones that are being affected the most and that are dying the most. And, and we can talk all day. That's a different show about, you know, health disparity and in this country. But the fact that we are more susceptible means that we have to be even more careful. So if you choose not to take a vaccine, then for God's sake, take all these other precautions, you know, at all areas until this thing quiets down. That That's my recommendation. That's all I can say. And and one last little quick brief thing as we end our interview with you today, Dr. Jorge, talking about this thing winding down. If we don't get everybody vaccinated, you know, are we, is, is COVID just going to be here, you know, forever if we don't get it, everybody vaccinated or are we, are we going to be able to eventually just, you know, take our guards off when it comes to COVID if everybody doesn't get vaccinated? Adrian, forever is a long time, but, um, <laughs> but I think, and other people think that this is going to become endemic, which means that it is going to be around almost like the flu because it's going to be bouncing from Northern hemisphere to Southern hemisphere. And not until we vaccinate a great portion of the world, um, are we going to be safe from this? I mean, the other day I was on some CNN thing and, and I said, you know what, this is going to be on for at least two to three years, you know, and they were horrified. Uh, but it is, there, there's no doubt. It's going to be like a fire that burns here and there and here and there. And that's another way to look at it. Unless we take action together, meaning vaccines are just really covering ourselves all the time. There's very little chance that this is going to go away. And, and, and it is going to be around for a long time. A long time. Exactly. And and what makes it different, just before we wrap, is just it's here year round, it seems. You know, I think yep. early on in the pandemic, people were thinking, oh, it's going to go away. It's it's seasonal, kind of like the flu. But no, this really, you know, hot weather, cold weather, it seems to be able to survive in, in all kind of weather conditions. So we can't just count on the summer coming in and just going away. Uh, we learned that lesson last year. <laughs> um yeah, it, it may it may be worse at some uh, you know in one season than another, but it's always going to be here to some degree and round, year round. It doesn't take a vacation year round, <laughs> you know. 
Well, that's that, that's why we have people like you on the show, Dr. Jorge, to talk about this. Even though people have gotten tired of COVID, um, we know that uh, it's real, and there's a lot of lives being lost by you know people being reckless. So, um, you know, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we we feel like you know you're probably like one of the the, the more famous people we've had. We can finally say that oh, we you know, had somebody from you know. <laughs> Good morning, America, and Fox News, and Montel Williams, and everything on there. Well, so we that, appreciate that. You're welcome. That's a blessing and a curse. You know, that means that there have been people that have formed good opinions and not great opinions. No. <laughs> but, but listen, I want I want to thank you guys um, for bringing it out there because the bottom line is, you can never speak the truth often enough. So I appreciate you, and if one person, you know, changes, you know their way of thinking or what they're doing and that saves their life or the life of their family member or, or, or even a neighbor, you know, you've done a great job. So I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dr. Jorge. Uh, we appreciate those kind words and we appreciate what you're doing because you're really, really helping uh, so many different lives. So uh, listeners, you've heard it uh, from the Black Agenda podcast, Dr. Jorge. Uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, stay safe and we'll catch you next time, Dr. Jorge. Likewise, gents. Thank you very much. All right, listeners. That was a great interview from Dr. Jorge. So we're going to take our break before we get into our quick hits and our ending. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So hopefully you enjoyed that interview with uh, Dr. Jorge Rodriguez. Very, very good. Knows his stuff. So I'm really, really glad to have him on the show. So uh, let's get you out here. Let's get to our quick kiss. And first up is a story out of Louisiana. If you've ever dreamed of seeing over a billion dollars in your bank account, well, there was a family in Louisiana that actually got to feel that for a few days. And so um, a Louisiana husband and wife were stunned this month after they discovered $50 billion had accidentally been deposited into their account. And so uh, their names are Darren James, who's 47. He said he arrived to work uh, or arrived from work in Baton Rouge on June 12th when his wife showed him what appeared to be a direct deposit for a huge sum of money on their phone. So the family immediately contacted Chase Bank, uh, the father of two said. He previously had worked as a law enforcement officer for the uh, Louisiana Department of Public Safety. So, of course, he never actually thought about keeping the money. And he said, quote, we knew it wasn't ours. We didn't earn it. So we couldn't do anything with it. Uh, Chase actually corrected the error four days later, but but that means for four days, Adrian, they were they had fifty billion dollars in their bank account. Man, that's that's hard to do. I I can't say for me. I know it, you're not supposed to touch the money and all that because technically it's not yours. But goodness gracious, maybe I could squeeze a billion out of there and, <laughs> and move it to a different account so I can keep it <laughs> afterwards or something. <laughs> I think if I would have saw that in my account, I would have been tempted to at least do something. I mean, I feel like I would, you know, you made the you made the mistake. I deserve to capitalize on it just once. Let me get a vacation or something. 
Um, speaking of being able to capitalize on good fortune, um, there's a Puerto Rican man who is actually uh, dubbed the world's oldest living man. Looks like uh, Guinness World Record announced a new record holder for old, uh, world's oldest living man. Uh, looks like uh, Eman- uh, Emilio Flores Marquez is 112, and he lives in Puerto Rico. Uh, the record-keeping organization said in his Guinness World Record um, that he was issued a certificate as the world's oldest living man. His technical age is 112 years, 326 days old. Uh, he was born August 8th, 1908 in Carolina, Puerto Rico. He was the second of 11 children born to his parents. He was married uh, to his wife for over 75 years, but she actually passed away in 2010. The couple had four children, two of whom are still living. Uh, sad to, you know, when your children pass away before you, but if you're 112, that's um, you mean kind of kicking it there. The record for the oldest living man was previously held by another gentleman who died June 27th of last year at the age of 111 years, 219 days. Um, he actually only held the record for a month and then he passed away. But um, Devin, it seems like um, people are um, still living a pretty long, uh, long life. I don't know what their secret is to make it to, you know, 112 or 111, <laughs> but Gosh, I don't looking at that guy's picture. I don't know if I want to make it to one twelve. <laughs> I'll take it. I don't care how I look. I dare somebody to say something. <laughs> I wish I'm. You know, I want to just be blessed to get to eighty five or eighty or just see retirement. Let alone hundred and twelve years on this earth. That's amazing. Um, that really is amazing. So kudos. Hey, kudos to him. He's blessed to be there. Hopefully, we'll. Be lucky enough to do the podcast for 112 years. We'll see. <laughs> um, so our, our next story here, um, not about longevity as far as life goes, but this was a, a funny story that we saw here out of Wisconsin. Now, you may have seen the video actually on, on I saw it on social media myself, but um, there was a video of a deer that had actually entered a Walmart in Wisconsin and got restrained by, by one of the store's workers. Um, and so the incident reportedly occurred in the city of Baraboo, Wisconsin, on June 23rd. Uh, this, and this is according to Rebecca Pickle, who was a passerby who recorded the actual video. And the employee was holding down the uh, the deer. She was actually on top of it. And you could hear the deer belting out uh, this. It was really strange. It was crazy watching this video. It was like screaming and the, the employees on top of it trying to keep it from moving. And so although the workers quick thinking prevented the deer from damaging any kind of property, um, interestingly, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources told Fox News that people should not repeat what they saw in the video. They said, quote, while it's not common, deer do find their way into buildings nearly every year. So if this happens to you, if you're listening, you're somewhere where deer wander into buildings. If a deer actually does get into the building, they recommend giving the animal space providing crowd control, and then clearing a way, a pathway for the deer to actually exit the building. So they don't recommend you hop on top of it and try to, you know, restrain it. So, uh, Adrian, this when I saw the video, it you could hear that the deer was, like, belting and screaming. It was really weird and, and just kind of, you know, nerve-wracking watching it. But it didn't hurt anybody. The employee was okay. 
They got it, you know, out of the store without any issue. So all in the end, it kind of actually worked out. So, so that you mean if, if you see a deer, you're not supposed to just jump on it like a horse or something? <laughs> That's what it exactly. seems like. <laughs> it seems like the moral of the story. Yeah. Yeah, hey, your audio is, a, is really low. I'm not sure what happened. Oh, my, my, my bad. I, I, I was just saying, you mean uh, jumping on a deer like a horse? That's not what you're supposed to do when you when you see one in the store. Nah, that's yeah, it's not really recommended. Not, <laughs> not any instructions. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Probably not. I'm sure uh, Peter probably didn't like what she was doing there. She probably got a lawsuit or something, and uh, when everything was said and done. Um, but hey, uh, listeners, to take you to space here, uh, let's go to a, a Florida company, the company called Space Perspective, which is a human space flight company out of Florida. On Wednesday, they began selling tickets for its inaugural voyage um, that goes uh, up into the sky. It looks like about 20 miles up into the sky. Um, but they're selling tickets, Devin. It's 125000 a ticket. The trip is scheduled for late 2024. Abroad, excuse me, aboard their spaceship Neptune, which is a hot air balloon um, that's going to, uh, like I said, go up into that ascension there. Um, if you're interested, listeners, you are welcome to participate in this uh, balloon ride. Um, all you got to do is have you know a thousand dollar deposit and then the other hundred twenty four grand um, to go with it. The company said it plans to send eight passengers on a luxurious ascension into space from a launch pad at the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Um, excursion from which they reportedly travel up 20 miles above Earth's surface for a profoundly life-changing experience. They also say throughout the six-hour journey, all guests will enjoy the best reclining seats in the house to soak in the 450-mile, 360-degree view. Uh, they call. Uh, they're actually going to have um, open call and dress uh, champagne, bathroom, all the good stuff there for you. Um, the balloon that they're going to be using, Devin, measures at 700 feet tall. Uh, looks like the capsule will feature plush seating, 360-degree panoramic windows, Wi-Fi access, and other amenities. Also, once inflated, the space balloon that lifts the capsule will be the size of a football stadium. So um, pretty big uh, thing here, but a uh, hefty price tag, Devin, you know, I like the sound of that thousand dollar deposit, but the other hundred twenty four thousand to go with the deposit seems like that's going to be difficult for most people. <laughs> hey, if you if you were that family down in in Baton Rouge that got the fifty billion dollars into your uh, bank account, you could have paid for a lot of people to go. Hey, that's right. You just, you better <laughs> and and try to get them to get the trip sooner than twenty twenty four. Hey, see. That could have been some seed money or something, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that thousand dollar deposit might get you because I saw it too. But I don't know about the rest of it. That hundred and twenty four thousand meant you. They may not see that part. Um, but our, our next story here is not quite as uh, you know exciting as going to space, but it is kind of strange, honestly. Um, but this is a story here out of California where there was a correctional officer who's been sentenced to jail time. <laughs> after having sex with an inmate while she was on the job and she was in front of other prisoners. So this is according to local reports. Her name is Tina Gonzalez. Um, she's 27 and she was busted 
After Fresno County Sheriff's Office workers received a tip about her relationship with the prisoner who was caught with a cell phone behind bars in 2019. So her behavior was something only a depraved mind can come up with. And this is a quote from the assistant sheriff um, in Fresno. And so Gonzalez, Tina Gonzalez, was accused of cutting a hole in her uniform to facilitate her intimate encounters with this inmate, which they reportedly had within view of 11 other prisoners. And so she was sentenced to 210 days behind bars and two years of probation on felony charges of sexual activity by a detention facility employee with a consenting confined adult. And she got charged with possession of drugs and or alcoholic beverage in a jail facility. Uh, She pled guilty to those charges in April. And so, yes, (laughs) a a weird story out of California. Um, But Miss Tina Gonzalez is going to have to serve some time uh, for getting intimate with the uh, inmates. We know that's frowned upon. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about bringing work home with you or whatever. (laughs) I I guess she couldn't, she couldn't resist. She had to, you know, keep, uh, she had to really, really be hands on, uh, all hands on deck, I guess. I don't, I don't know what to say on that one, Uh, but listeners to kind of round off our quick hits here. Uh, This is out of uh, China here. There's a Chinese developer who opened uh, what is being billed as the highest hotel in the world, occupying the top floors of the country's tallest building. Hotel is called the J Hotel Shanghai Tower, situated on the top floors of the 2,073-foot-tall Shanghai Tower, which is China's tallest building. Opened to the public June 19th and billed itself as the highest hotel in the world. The hotel, owned by developer Jing Zhao International charges $557 per night for the cheapest of its rooms. If you want to stay in one of its suites, though, Devin, they only have 34 suites. So it's going to cost you a little bit, about $10,000 to stay in one of the suites. And that's per night. So that's better be a very luxurious suite. Um, unfortunately for this uh, developer in, in, uh, in Shanghai here, Guinness World Record lists the Genova Hotel, excuse me, Javerna Hotel in Dubai as the world's tallest hotel. So I don't know what Shanghai Tower is going to do, but they're going to have to do something to try to compete with this. But basically, it seems like the Shanghai Tower um, won't take the record because it only occupies a few of the building's uh, floors and not the entire building. So I guess they might lose out on the technicality there. But um, listeners, that pretty much wraps up our quick hits here. Some funny stuff, some interesting stuff, some um, crazy things if you are a correctional officer that you shouldn't do while you're on the job. But uh, nevertheless, don't don't um, fraternize with the inmates. Yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, I, I work, you know, even with my job, I work with a lot of teachers and I know that I can't, even though they're consenting and of age, Still not very appropriate to, um, you know, have relations with your, your, your work, your, your, your clients or anything like that. So, um, listeners, we're at the end here. Um, don't forget, we're going to be doing more this season. This is a big season for Devin and I. Um, we're hoping to bring a lot of different things together and make this a masterful season for you all. One of the things that we're going to be bringing to you is our upcoming episode on the 6th. 
where we're going to be discussing policing after George Floyd, um, because we know that law enforcement has taken on a lot of heat. Um, some of it, you know, is definitely, you know, rightful, right, rightfully so. Some of it has probably just been inflated by a lot of drama. But we want to get into what's going on with law enforcement after George Floyd, after the Chauvin conviction and, and the sentencing. Um, also, don't forget next Saturday, July 10th, we're going to be back here at it doing weekly roundup number four. Um, always, always like to make sure we can bring you some of the breaking news of the week. Um, Devin and I, we always try to do it in an unbiased approach, but of course, we're going to try to sway you in the, the appropriate way as best we can um, without being too biased. So, <laughs> Devin, tell them about how to donate to us because we need that money. <laughs> we need that money. Yes, we do. Um, but we're not all about the money, but we appreciate for the most... we. For you know, mostly we love that you listen to us and support us, but we do love some monetary support. Um, and you can do that by visiting blackagendapod.com. Um, there's a donate button right at the very top on the menu. You can click that, you can give us a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars if you're really feeling generous. Just anything that you feel like giving, we'll absolutely take it. Um, any, all that money goes to help us try to produce the best podcast that we can and get the best content, um, to you, our listeners that we can get. So, um, any help that you give us will be greatly, greatly appreciated. And again, you can go and donate to us by visiting blackagendapod.com and clicking the donate tab that's right there on the menu. So it's very, very easy, very simple, and it is safe. Your information will be safe. Um, so, yes, if you can, check that out. Um, the other thing we ask that you also do is to help out a charity that we choose every month. So our charity of the month for this month is going to be called Color of Change. Um, so if you haven't heard about it, it actually is the nation's largest online racial justice organization. And again, the name is Color of Change. And so uh, they help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us. And as a national online force, they're driven by 7 million members. Um, they say we move decision makers and corporations and, and government to create a more human and less hostile world for black people in America. So, again, our charity of the month this month is Color of Change. They are the nation's largest online racial justice organization. So if you ever get a chance, check them out. Uh, again, donate on blackagendapod.com. You can also check out uh, Carla of Change to help give back um, and help them, you know, continue the groundwork in pushing us towards a less, you know, more human and less hostile world. So uh, make sure you do that. <laughs> exactly. That's what we're all about, uh, listeners. We're trying to not only build up ourselves, but build up the surrounding community so that we can make sure that we influence society in a more positive way. As always, don't forget, we're on all the major platforms, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter. All you got to do is go to at Black Agenda Pod and you'll find us. That's our hashtag at Black Agenda Pod. When you go on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, make sure you like, share, follow, subscribe. Everything that you can do on our page, make sure you do it so that you can spread our message and our mission to everybody that you know. Um, and as we always like to do to end our show, we really, really appreciate you for sticking with us. 
We thank you for being able to follow along the news, uh, listen to us kind of dibble and dabble a little bit about what's going on in the world around us. So we appreciate it. We will catch you next time and farewell. Farewell.